Take your copies of the scriptures and turn with me to the book of John. John chapter 16. We're going to look at verses 5 to 15 to get us started today on our subject of what every Christian must know about the Holy Spirit. So chapter 16, verse 5, Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples. This is the night he'll be betrayed and eventually go to the cross. And he's talking to them. He knows, they know he's going away and they're quite disturbed. And in verse 5 he says this, But now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go away, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you no longer see me. And concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak of his own, on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine, therefore I said that he takes of mine, and I will disclose it to you. This is our introduction to the ministry of the Holy Spirit coming to us in this church age. As uh, we've been looking at some of these issues that come out of this Lifeway uh, Ligonier study on uh, the state of theology in the church today, uh, just, just coming out in 2022, and we've seen that, that so many, even those that claim to be evangelicals and meet the marks of what an evangelical is supposed to be, so many of them are very confused or have little understanding of the truth of Scripture of what we call theology. According to the, this particular survey, 59% of those who identify as evangelical Christians believe that the Holy Spirit is a force, but not a personal being. He's a force, but not personal. This in light of the fact they also said, 90% of them said they believe in a trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. At the very least, they're confused as to what the Godhead is about and what the Holy Spirit is about. In the Old Testament, God the Father takes preeminence. We find him throughout all those 39 books in, in, in prominence. In the New Testament, the, the focus shifts to the Son, Jesus Christ at the Incarnation, and, and continues on through to the very end of the New Testament. In, uh, in church history, the emphasis has been on the Father and the Son, uh, but the Holy Spirit uh, not as prominent, but... Uh, we find that in our passage of Scripture here, the Holy Spirit has been active in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, He would come upon people to, to give them power, to have them prophesy, various things like that. In the New Testament, He's extremely active, as we'll see here in just a few moments. But one of the primary things that He does, and things we must remember as we go forward, is this verse uh, 14 of chapter 16, that when He comes, His ministry will be to glorify Jesus Christ. Not to glorify himself, but to glorify Jesus Christ. In chapter 15, verse 26 of John, he says, When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. And so we know one of the marks of the Holy Spirit at work is he is glorifying Jesus Christ, not himself. And that is something to keep in mind 
as we move forward here today. As someone has said, the Holy Spirit didn't come to make us Holy Spirit conscious. He came to make us Christ conscious. And I think that is something we need to remember. To understand the Holy Spirit in our lives, it's essential. We, we, if we don't understand the ministry and the person and work of the Holy Spirit, we will not understand a Christian life, and we certainly will not be able to live it. And so who the Holy Spirit is is our subject today, and what He does, and why it matters. There's the three things that we will tackle. First of all, who is the Holy Spirit? We go, let's go with, to, with me to Acts chapter 5. We will move around Scripture some today by necessity of this type of message, and I hope you can stay with me. If not, jot down these verses or listen up. I'll be reading them. <clears throat> who is the Holy Spirit? Uh, some of you might remember the old Lone Ranger show. Back, uh, back, some of you old people can remember the radio show. So if you remember that, please don't raise your hand. We don't want to embarrass anybody. But uh, he goes way back to the old radio. Then there's black and white television and so forth. I remember as a little boy uh, on Saturday morning, I believe, that we had the Lone Ranger show on every week. And as, uh, as it came on, at the very end of the show, it always ended the same way. After he and Tonto had beaten up all the bad guys and won the day, uh, they rode off into the sunset or whatever it was, and, and somebody always said the same thing. You do you remember? Who was that masked man? And even as a little boy, I thought, how nutty are you people? He does this every week. How many people do you know running around with a black mask on, riding a white horse with a dog named Bullet, and a, a faithful Indian companion, and, and going off and saying, hi, old silver. Doesn't that kind of identify who the Lone Ranger is? You know, you'd think after watching, I've probably watched 300 shows, that you'd have that down. Well, you know, as silly as that is, we have to say, well, why is it that, that the Christian community, after all these centuries, have a hard time knowing who the Holy Spirit is? Isn't he identified rather clearly in Scripture as to who he is and what he does? And yet, so many don't seem to know. It's astounding. Over half of those who claim to be evangelicals, who are, have to be at least the most conservative of the Christians in our world, don't know that he is a personal being and obviously don't know that he is God. That's astounding and that's disturbing. In this passage in Acts, just one passage today on this subject, verse 3, early church, Peter says to Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Now in these two simple verses, we learn two essentials about the Holy Spirit. He is a person. You don't lie to a force. You lie to a person. When, when Peter said to these to Ananias, Ananias, in this case, why have you lied to the Holy Spirit? He's speaking of a person. Then, then he says, you're not lied to uh, the, just a man. You lied to God. He just identified the Holy Spirit as who he's talking about. Now he calls him God. And so very quickly, and with, this is throughout the New Testament, very simple passage. He is God and he is a person. He is not a force. He is part of the Trinity. When we talked a couple, a couple of weeks ago concerning the, the Great Commission where we're baptized in the singular name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. If you add it to anything but, the, but God to that equation, to the Father and the Son, that would be blasphemous. 
We're not baptized in the name of the Father and Son and the Apostle Paul, or the Father and Son and, and Peter, or the Father and Son in some church. We're baptized in the name, well, singular name, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So who is he? Well, he is God and he is a person. Part of the Trinity, co-eternal, co co-equal, of the same essence as the Father and the Son, he is God. And we must nail that down early on. You say, well, Gary, we all know that. Why don't you move on? Because over half of evangelicals say they don't know that. That's astounding. And I trust that you knew that when you came. And if you didn't, that you have that perfectly underhand now. But let's go on. Now that we know who he is, we want to know what he does. Our kind of church, which is non-charismatic, has been accused of not believing in the Holy Spirit, or at least not believing that he does anything. In the Pentecostal charismatic uh, tradition, uh, they believe that the Holy Spirit is active in performing miracles and healings of modern-day prophecies, speaking in tongues. And we don't believe that for today, and therefore many believe we, aren't, we don't believe that the Holy Spirit does anything. Well, we certainly believe the Holy Spirit did those things, but we also know with complete clarity of the New Testament that each of those sign gifts had a purpose. The healings and the miracles were, were given during that time to authenticate the gospel and the apostles who spread the gospel. The, uh, the gift of tongues was given as a sign to the, to the uh, rebellious Israel's, Israelites that they were going to be brought to judgment, and they were, they were brought to judgment in 70 A.D. Uh, the, the prophecy was completed when the New Testament was completed. No more revelation is needed or, or, or will come about in this age. So we believe those things were necessary for a time, but that time is gone and those purposes have been fulfilled. So does that mean then we don't believe that the Holy Spirit has much to do? Kind of just sitting around heaven doing nothing? Well, that certainly is not the picture we have in the New Testament. So I want to talk to you about that today. He's very active in so many things. Go to Titus chapter 3 and look at a very important passage. What does the Holy Spirit do? And the first thing we want to mention here is that He re regenerates us. That is not a word we use every day, perhaps, so let's talk about it. Look at the process. Titus chapter 3 and verse 5. He says this, He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. So we start here by looking at what He does. There's a process. He's, we start with the fact that He washes us. He washes us. We, you, are, you are spiritually dirty. If you're dirty, you need a bath. You need to clean up. So let's say little Clyde comes in the house. He's been outside playing. He's dirty. And Mama says, Clyde, you need a bath. Go clean up. Go to the, go to the bathroom. Take a bath. Clean up. Well, little Clyde, being a typical six-year-old boy or whatever, uh, doesn't really want to take a bath. I mean, that's nasty stuff, you know, have to actually take a bath. So he goes in there, and he kind of puddles around. He puts on some powder that his mom had on the counter, maybe a little perfume, washes a few things off, comes out and says, I'm, I'm done. I'm clean. Mama's not that easily fooled, is she? She takes a look at little Clyde, takes a sniff of little Clyde, and says, you are not clean. You go back in there, and you do what I tell you to do. You take your bath. You need to be clean. On a spiritual level, we do a very, that very same thing. People do that. They, they know there's something wrong. They know there's something that needs to be done. But they believe that the best thing they can do is just kind of powder up and perfume up and, and wipe off a few things, change some bad habits, uh, and so forth. Go to church a little more often. Join a church, blah, 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 and they will be clean. 
And our passage of scripture says not so fast. All that is is covering up. That doesn't actually clean anybody. The ministry of cleaning us is that of the Holy Spirit. He comes to us and he cleans us of our sins. He wipes us clean in that respect. And, and therefore, just as we can't, as Clyde can't fool mama, so we can't fool God. We need to be cleaned. We need a cleansing. We need a spiritual washing of our sin. The song we often sing from Isaiah uh, is, you know, whiter than snow. Wash me whiter than snow. And that is exactly what the Holy Spirit does. But notice he goes on for the part, second part of the process. He regenerates us. And notice the terminology in our passage. They're coupled together by the washing of regeneration. They're, they're coupled together. They're distinguished to some degree. But they're also part and parcel of the same thing. What do we need? We need to be washed from our sins. We need a cleansing. What do we need? We need new life. Regeneration. Regeneration simply means new life. Be, to be born again, as Jesus said in John chapter 3. We not only need to be cleaned, we need new spiritual life that the Holy Spirit brings to us. In 1969 was the world famous Woodstock Festival. And in that time, they had a theme song at Woodstock. Some of you might recall what that was. The theme song went like this. We are stardust. We are golden. And we have, we have to get ourselves back to the garden. Now, that's an interesting thing. Here's where a whole bunch of young people, thousands of them, who came together recognizing that something is wrong with the world and something is wrong with them. They needed to get back to the garden. That is, we need to get back to paradise. And how are we going to get there? And so they came together at Woodstock, which was just the epitome of what was going on at that time in the 60s and 70s. And they said, here's how we're going to bring ourselves, ourselves back to paradise. We're going to do it through rock and roll music. We're going to do it through drugs. And we're going to do it through sex. And so that's what Woodstock came up with as a solution. And that's kind of, it epitomizes the solutions of the world. We're going to get ourselves back to paradise. We recognize something seriously wrong. We, we know there's, we, there's something that needs to be fixed, but we can do it. We can fix ourselves. We can clean ourselves up. And we can do it through whatever means possible. In that case, rock and roll and sex and drugs. Of course, it didn't work, did it? It collapsed. Matter of fact, historians go back and look at Woodstock as a, as a great blow-off of the whole thing. Uh, after that, there was a slow digression as, as people began to wake up and realize this was not working. The problem is very few turn to what would work, what would change us, what would bring us to paradise, and that is God himself through the Holy Spirit who regenerates us and gives us new life. And then there's one more thing here. He, he also is renewing us by the washing of regeneration, renewing by the Holy Spirit. All this is ministry of the Holy Spirit. And he's renewing us. He's continuing the process. We have been born again. We have new life. But we are, we are still in a, a bit of a mess. We are not all what we all need to be by any means. We're not what God wants. Something needs to happen. A renewing process. Some of you have bought houses that you had to fix up, fixer-uppers. Marsha and I thought about that once until we found out I didn't know how to turn a wrench or find a nail at the right end of a nail. 
and that kind of thing. So, you know, it probably wasn't the best choice for us. But somebody buys a house, you get the deed, here it is, this house belongs to me. I walk in the front door and everything needs to be fixed. The walls need to come down, the roof needs to be replaced, the floor needs to be scrubbed down and resanded. Everything, the wiring, the plumbing, everything needs to be fixed. I own this house, but it is a mess. And there's that sense in which the Lord has saved us from our sins. He has renewed us, He's regenerated us, He's washed us, but we are now in process. And the Holy Spirit is the one that is bringing us, taking us through that process to renew us to be what God wants us to be. Now, I want to take you, you could keep a finger in Titus, but I do want to take you right back to Romans chapter 12, verse 2, to see a rather important thing here that will help us in this. And that is this, the word renewing in Titus 3, 5 is found in only one other place in the New Testament. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. The only other place. And this is extremely instructive. In 12.2 it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Okay, in Titus we're told that the Holy Spirit is renewing us. And in Romans we're told that they were renewed by the renewing of our mind, the transformation of our mind. And that only happens through the instruction, the teaching, and the study of the Word of God. So we put those two together. They're not at odds. The Holy Spirit inspired Scripture. The Holy Spirit uh, guides us in Scripture. The Holy Spirit energizes Scripture. And so when we come together, He is not speaking outside of Scripture, but He is using His own Scripture, His own Word, to change us. And so when we think about the Titus passage of Scripture, what we're being told here is that we are in need of spiritual change that can, comes about only through renewal, which comes about only through the power of the Spirit, which comes about only through the Word of God. And without the Word of God, you might as well kiss it goodbye, folks. It's, this is not a mystical thing. This is not something, well, I just want the Holy Spirit to fall on me and, and, and somehow transform me and change me. It doesn't work that way. The Holy Spirit transforms you, but He transforms you through the Word of God. And that's why it is so essential and so necessary to be under the hearing of God. So let's put it together. We're dirty, and the Holy Spirit cleans us. We are dead in our sins, and the Holy Spirit gives us life. We are immature, and the Holy Spirit transforms us through His Word. Is the Holy Spirit busy? <laughs> yes, He's busy. That, that alone, we go home right now and say, Wow, am I so glad for the ministry of the Holy Spirit in my life. But you're not that lucky. We've got a lot more things to talk about. So go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, and let's look at a second vital ministry of the Holy Spirit. And of course, I'm not going to get through very many of His ministries. But a few. Number one, this one in 1 Corinthians 6.19 is he indwells us. As we look at this context of this passage, we find that from verses 12 to verse 20, the Apostle Paul mentions the body, the human body, seven different times. It's all about how we are living in this body as we live for Christ now. And, he said, and the most important thing he says about the body is verse 19 and 20. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit 
who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you're not your own. So he tells us that we are the, the temple of the Holy Spirit. He lives in us. Now, we're used to saying that if you're in a church like this one. You're used to hearing that and saying that. But think about that for just a moment. How astounding is that, that you walk around with God in you? Would that change the way you walk around? Would that change the way you look at things and say things and, and your attitude? Would that change anything? If you knew, if you remembered as a Christian, God lives in you. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now there's two things that a temple does, two characteristics of a temple. First of all, it's a place where God dwells, and that should change the way we live. Uh, we would not want to bring impurity into God's temple, but uh, we are that temple. And the second thing is, verse, into verse 19 and verse 20, uh, we belong to Him. Verse 20 says this, For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. No one owns a temple. That temple belongs to God, even if we clean it up or, or work on it. Therefore, he's saying that our bodies are not at our disposal. They belong to him. They belong to God. Our bodies belong to him because he paid for them. He bought us, and the Holy Spirit lives in us. Let's say after church today, I, I go to one of the people in our church that has a nice car and loves their, his car, keeps that car immaculate, and parks that car way back over in the corner so the rest of you won't ding it. All right? Well, let's say there's somebody like that in our church. And, and so I asked that person after church, could I borrow your car this afternoon? You, I really would like to see what this car is like. You know, it's pretty cool. And uh, after some hesitancy, he says, okay, you could take good care of it now, but you can have it this afternoon. So this afternoon, I take it out, and, and as soon as uh, I'm out of the parking lot, I take it through the field over here and start going mudding in that, just drive all over that field. And I take it home, and I clean it up a little bit, and I repaint it. I, I, I put some racing stripes on it and, and all that kind of stuff. And on top of that, just for the coup de grace, I put a snowblow break, a snow blade on the front of that car. And I bring it back tonight for BTI, and my friend says, what in the world have you done to my car? I said, well, I fixed it up for you. Uh, well, it's a little dirty, but it's a new color, and, and that, that snow blade's going to come in handy if it ever snows again. You know, you're going to really like that thing. And I, I don't think he's going to be happy with me. What do you think? Very unlikely. Even if you, I know you don't know who I'm talking about, but if you did... You would know what I'm talking about. But I don't have the right to do that because I don't own the car, right? That car belongs to someone else. So I don't have the right to live any way I want to live because I belong to him. And my body belongs to him. And therefore, when I realize that, that the Holy Spirit indwells me, I walk around with God in me, and I belong to him, everything changes. Everything about my life changes. He is in me. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. He baptizes us into the body of Christ. I'm going to have to move quickly here. 12, 13. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, which whether Jew or Greek, whether slaves or free, we're all made to drink of one spirit. Just very quickly, this is the only verse in the New Testament that explains the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And basically it says this, that the Holy Spirit brings us into the body of Christ. 
The Holy Spirit actively brings us into the body of Christ. No, it doesn't matter our, our background, our culture, our ethnicity, anything. He brings us together in one body in Jesus Christ. Go to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse, verses uh, 13 and 14. Look at, look at this particular passage that talks about a fourth ministry of the Holy Spirit. And that is that He seals us. And a lot of people don't think much about this one. And yet it's so vital for the lives of many Christians. And many Christians, if they understood these two or three verses we'll look at here quickly, we, it, this would give them great stability and, and assurance and joy in their Christian life. Just look at these two verses with me. Verse 13 of chapter 1. In Him also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who has given us a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. To be sealed by the Holy Spirit means that he, this is God's mark of authenticity on your life. You are a Christian because God has, been, has given you the Holy Spirit as the mark or the seal of your, your authenticity and the guarantee that He will bring you to Himself in the end. That you will not lose out on the way. That you will sin. You'll sin often, sometimes grievously. But if you are the child of God, the Holy Spirit is the guarantee that you will never fall away. Not because you're able, because He's able. And because of His promise. I've often illustrated this as kind of like registered mail. You send a, a piece of registered mail, and you put a, some kind of seal on it. You get a, re, get a receipt back saying when the person received it, so that you know they got it. Now recently I sent in my tax, uh, quarterly tax things to the IRS. For two months they didn't cash my check. Every day I checked my bank account. What's going on here? Am I, you can't call the IRS. By the way, if you, if you really want to be, see how bored life can get, call the IRS. See what happens to you. You can't check with them. So what's going on? Every, I started thinking, why didn't I register that? Maybe I should have registered mail so I know they got it. I mean, after all, how long? I mean, how many bureaucrats does it take to, to cash a check? Apparently several. And so uh, I, I didn't you know, what am I going to do? And finally, the, this week, the check was cashed. Two months later. I mean, it's hard to cash a check, so I understand that. But registered mail would have said, yeah, they got it. They haven't cashed it, but they got it. The seal of the Holy Spirit says, okay, you're not there yet. You're not there yet, but God says you will get there if you know Him as Savior. He will keep you in His love and in His grace and in His arms, and nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Here's a fifth ministry. He fills us. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit means to be under His control and influence. That doesn't, and, and the illustration is drunkenness. That, so it doesn't mean that if we're filled with the Spirit that we're perfect, that we're sinless. It means we're, we're greatly influenced and controlled to that extent by the Holy Spirit. A drunk person unless they're drunk to the point of, of passing out, can still make decisions and choices and think. Uh, they're greatly influenced. They might do some really stupid things because they're drunk. But at the same time, they're able to, to, to make decisions and they're responsible for those decisions, right? And same thing with the Holy Spirit. He lives in us. 
He fills us. He controls us. He influences us. And therefore, he, if, he, if we're filled with the Spirit, He is, is influencing, guiding us, leading us in the way of righteousness and the way He wants us to live. doesn't mean we can't sin, but it means He's in charge and control of our lives. And on top of that, He empowers us. He enables us to live a life that we could not live on our own. As I've said many times, the Christian life is not hard. It's impossible. You cannot live the Christian life without the power of the Holy Spirit. He does that through filling, uh, the filling ministry. Romans chapter 8, verse 26, number 6, the 6th ministry we'll briefly touch on is that he prays for us. Romans 8, 26. He says, this is a wonderful ministry here. He says this in 8, 26. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses, for we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and he searches the hearts, and he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Did you, have you ever thought the Holy Spirit is actually praying for you, interceding for you? He's taking your prayer requests, and you don't know what to pray for often. And he intercedes for us and translates those prayer requests according to the will of God. And, and we think about that and we think, well, that seems a little odd. Why would he do that? Why doesn't he just give me what I asked for? And if you're a parent, you know why. You don't give your kids everything they ask for because you, know you love them too much. And you want to help them too much. The Holy Spirit takes... What, our, what we often want, which is often not on, in tune with His will, and translated according to the will of God, so that it, it, it comes out the way He wants it to be. And then Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, we have a seventh ministry of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5, 22, He produces His fruit in us. In the verses 17 to 21, above here, He, he labels so many issues of the flesh, the works of the flesh, these sinful things that are part of the human nature and how the flesh is leading us in those things. Then he comes to verse 22 and he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and so forth. I'm not talking about those today, so we'll just move on. But the point is he brings his fruit into our lives. Fruit is something supernatural. It's not something you could ever work for or produce. Only, the God, only God can produce these in you and he does it through the Holy Spirit. This is supernatural. So that, that's his concern. And so unless, you are, unless the Holy Spirit is working in you, you will not produce his fruit. And those are the marks, to some degree, of his work in us. You know, I have in my yard a number of trees, but none of them are fruit trees. And no matter how much I pray over them and fertilize them, no matter how much they want to be a peach tree, they cannot. My little dogwood could squeeze his little bark until he's, it's, the sap is oozing out. And he'll never produce a peach because it's not a peach tree. The only way that that could happen is there was a supernatural transformation of my dogwood into a peach tree. And that's not going to happen. But the Lord comes into our lives, lost sinners, controlled by the flesh, and he transforms us through the Holy Spirit, giving us new life so that he can now produce in us his fruit in our lives. And only the Holy Spirit can do that. We won't turn there because this will be the subject of the message next week. But in 2 Peter 1.20, 
and 21. An eighth ministry is he's the author of Scripture. He's the inspirer of Scripture. And therefore, we'll look at that next week on what every Christian should know about the Bible. Very quickly now, the point three here, why does the ministry of the Holy Spirit matter? I don't think I really have to say much more. I think you've probably gotten the point from what I've said so far. But I'll just tick some things off quickly. Let's refresh our memory. The Spirit is a sign of our conversion. We belong to God. He is responsible for convicting us of sin and opening our eyes to understanding of redemption found only in Christ. He regenerates us, giving us new life. He is he's actively involved in our spiritual growth or our progressive sanctification. He lives within both the individual Christian and within the church, corporate. He is a guarantee of our salvation and the pledge given to us by God of all those who come to him he will save. He empowers us to live in a way that pleases God and leads us in the path of holiness. He battles the desires of the flesh in our lives and in turn produces the life of Christ within us in the form of his, of his fruits. He enlightens the believers so that they are able to grasp spiritual realities and I could go on and on and on. Is the Holy Spirit active? I think so. Could we live without him? Not at all. Not at all. Let's say you're here today and you are a, a Christian like many. You, you probably are saved, but the Christian life has just become one big drag to you. It's exhausting. You, it is too much. You really don't want to, to keep on going hardly. Just, just get by, you know. And then somebody comes up to you and says, you know what? I understand your feelings. You're in luck. Our church this week is having special meetings. And those special meetings, are, are the theme of those special meetings is how you can not be exhausted. And here's the illustration I want to give. Let's say you went down to the car dealership, bought a car. It's a beautiful car. It's a lovely car. But the car doesn't have a motor, just minor, minor detail. And so you, you buy the car and you push it home. And you get home and the kids and the wife is so excited. And they jump in the car, she's going to drive, the kids are in the back, you get behind and push. And somebody comes up to you and says, how's it going? How do you like your car? Oh, it's gorgeous. It's a wonderful car, great upholstery. The horn is to die for. It's, it's a great car. What, but I, I don't have a motor, so I have to push it. Well, how's that going for you? Well, going downhill is not bad. But if we get any kind of incline, it's really tough. And so this friend of yours says, okay, I got, a, I got it for you. My church is having seminars all week on how to push a car. Okay? On Monday night, we're going to teach you how to push with the right shoulder. And on Tuesday, it's the left shoulder. And on Wednesday, how to get your back into it. And on, and on Thursday, we're going to have workshops and seminars and PowerPoints on the whole thing. And on Friday, we're all going to come together for a great dedication service and dedicate ourselves to pushing cars. Would you go to that kind of seminars? I wouldn't. But that's what many people see the Christian life is like. It's constant pushing and exhaustion. It's all up to you. It's not all up to you. It is the Spirit of God that empowers you and strengthens you, enables you to live a life that pleases Him. A life not of exhaustion, but a life of joy in Him. And the mark of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, and peace that many do not have. Our Christian life would be identified by what I just said about the car pusher if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit. Do we believe in the Holy Spirit? Yeah. 
Do we need the Holy Spirit? Definitely. Let us lean on Him. Let us walk with Him. He loves us. He's guiding us. He's empowering us. Thank God for the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you now for all we've learned today about you. So quick, just so quick. But I hope these things are of value as we close out our service today. In Jesus' name, amen.